0: is taken from Mark 12 uh, beginning at verse 28 if you're following it on your phones or in your Bibles. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked of him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this love your neighbor as you love yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Be
1: to God. Well, as you know, Jesus very, very often engaged in his teaching by listening to the questions that people asked him. And that was a classic example of him summarizing the heart of what it means to be alive, to follow God in all that you are and all that you have. And so this morning instead of a, a sermon in terms of a monologue, we're going to be asking some questions I'm going to be asking three or four questions particularly of someone who has been part of this church for many, many years. And those of us who've been here quite a long time have watched Iona Clark, or Iggy as she is commonly known now, grow up from uh, quite a young age and mature and to grow into a a young woman now who is at uni and who is passionate, passionate about the Lord and has such a longing to see God's power and love released in our world so he would you like to come forward please that would be great i've got some questions to ask her because she uh, is someone who has now been led into something that is called burn burn 24 7 you've been involved with prayer for quite a long time you've had lots of experience in different ways of um, ways of prayer and this, uh, this phenomenon is starting to spread like a fire across the world. So tell us a little bit about Burn 24-7 and tell us a little bit about your involvement in it.
2: Yeah, um, so the Burn is a thing which started, it's a worship and missions movement. And it started in a little university dorm room in America where these students got so gripped with the presence of God that they would gather and they would worship and it would just go on all night because nobody wanted to leave God's presence. And it started with a few of them and it grew and grew till the little dorm room was absolutely packed out and there would be (laughs) absolutely no room so many students just singing and praying and worshipping for 10, 12, 14 hours at a time. And it grew um, from the little dorm room into a coffee house and then from a coffee house to a warehouse where they had hundreds of students getting together and praying and worshipping through the night. And it just spread like fire um, all around America. And now globally, we have about 350 different teams. Um, who get together and worship for at least 24 hours, continuously, um, once a month. And I got involved in Berlin. Um, I spent a few months there a couple of years ago. And just absolutely fell in love with the idea of extended worship, um, which for me was like an hour is a long time to worship, right? Um, (laughs) Not anymore. That's like that now. Um, So I got involved with the team um, in Berlin. And when I went back to university, I'm in Edinburgh, um, I started one with my flatmate and we had our first gathering. We had 60 students worshipping in our little living room uh, for six hours, so our neighbours loved that. Um, So we grew into a church. Um, And, uh, yeah, now I am involved in the overall European leadership. Um, So I get to spend lots of weekends going around and encouraging teams that are already formed and also starting planting new ones in different countries. Um, This summer we've started one in Italy, Romania, Switzerland and Belgium. Uh, well, they've never had these before and my big project um, is called the Burn Wagon which is our summer mission trip where basically we rent a van we find the craziest, most passionate students um, who love worship, love Jesus, love praying for people and we, f- we fill the van and we drive across Europe and um, we sleep on any floors available and we Uh, worship anywhere and everywhere so churches, prayer houses parks, a shopping centre once until we got thrown out Um, people's back gardens um, and we pray for people Um, it's a rule of ours that if you're stopping to get coffee on the road you have to pray for the barista or stand on your chair and ask if anyone else needs healing Um, and yeah just go around praying for the sick and preaching the gospel and basically living out the Great Commission in a van for a month.
1: It's interesting isn't it because to me what's going around in my mind are the monastic communities of the sixth century. (laughs) (laughs) Because you had that model didn't you of people gathering together of praying and sometimes you'd have monks praying in tongues, singing, chanting songs and praises to God for hours and hours and hours, sometimes using plain song or whatever it might be, and then going out on missionary trips to different places, seeing the sick healed, and raising up the poor and everything else. So it's wonderful what God is doing to rekindle that sense of prayer and mission. Yeah. And I wonder if you could um, just expand a little bit about that connection between prayer and mission and how it links in with Jesus's emphasis on those two great commandments.
2: Yeah. Um so, I think it 's completely impossible to divide prayer and worship and mission. You just can't have one without the other um, When Jesus was asked for one greatest commandment he gave two um, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength that 's worship, and love your neighbor as yourself that 's mission um I think the key word there is all. We can't, um, we can't give God everything we have just for an hour on a Sunday. Um, and people ask, like, why 24 hours? Why is that like your standard shortest time um, for a burn? I'm like, why just 24 hours? You know, Jesus died on the cross for us, so 24 hours is nothing Um, But I also think that if we spent all day, every single day um, in the prayer room and never left, um, that would almost be just like half the gospel. Um, It has to overflow um, into evangelism, into outreach. We have to um, come in, but also to go out. Like when um, Paul talks about praying without ceasing, he doesn't mean spending all day every day on our knees. He means taking that presence of God everywhere, wherever we go. And so there's this this beautiful rhythm of when you are um, praying, worshiping in the presence of God, you get so excited about God's goodness and everything he's done that it's just impossible not to go and share it with someone else, not to go and pray for someone else. And so you go, you pray for someone, they get healed, they give their life to Jesus. And then it's like, ah, I've got to go worship again. I've got to go give thanks. (laughs) Um, And so there's this beautiful cycle that is continuous. And I think um, one of the best examples I've seen of this being set up practically is um, in Ibiza there's a 24-7 prayer room um, right in the center of all the clubs and they at all times have two teams so one team will be praying continuously and the other team um, will be out on the streets um, helping people home giving them water doing practical things to show God's love and so they switch every hour so you have an hour in the prayer room and then you go out on the streets and then you Mm -hmm. switch back again to an hour in the prayer room and this rhythm continues all night every day and I think that's one of the most beautiful perfect um, Mm. uh, examples and with our burn teams everywhere that we have a burn team um, one of the things to be a burn is that you do outreach as well so we have some that are um, in really obvious places of need so we have burns in the slums of India we have burns all across the Middle East we have burns in ISIS controlled territory um, and then we have burns in the suburbs of cities doing outreach there as well.
1: And also in Bristol yes, we, have we have a burn here if anybody wants to go and experience that way of praying and outreach then have a word with Iggy afterwards as one locally here or go online. That, um, that is putting in another way, really, what we've been thinking about here for many years now, about being both a gathered church and a scattered church. Not, uh, we're not one thing here and another thing in our workplace, on our front lines. We are part of the same people, the same church, only operating in that cycle where we encounter the presence of love and, and think and celebrate the goodness of God, gather together corporately, but then we go out in the power of the Holy Spirit to live and work to his praise and glory, as we, as we say, wherever we are. I wanted to ask you about your passion for prayer. And I just wondered, how how has that grown for you? Because you're clearly passionate about prayer and about God in prayer. Is there something of how you have grown into that place and the rhythms that you and habits and things and disciplines that you've had? Sean, in a moment is going to introduce a a book by Pete Gregg, who looks at the very practicalities of how to pray. But what for you has made such an impact to help you to be passionate and become grow grow more passionate and even to be disciplined in prayer when you're not feeling passionate because it's not about feeling is it no passion is much deeper than feeling
2: yeah um so i think i first kind of got hooked on the presence of god at soul survivor which is a big youth gathering i'm sure lots of people have gone and you would go there and you'd see um people get healed there'd be amazing ministry times great worship and it'd be like a big high, and then you come back back to normal life, and then maybe go to like a youth gathering in Bristol. So the mix, and that'll be amazing. there will be great worship, and then you go back to normal life. And so I think um, a big bit of my journey of getting passionate about prayer has been learning to get off this roller coaster of big organised gatherings with really dramatic things happening, and then normal life, and um, actually like realizing that um, God is exactly the same. Um, whether there's 8,000 other people in a tent or just me on my own. And so building in um, times of spending time with God that are disciplines that, um, that yeah, make it an everyday thing. So when I was in Berlin, um, I was probably living in the dodgiest area possible of Berlin. And so we had a prayer basement underneath a casino Um, And I would go there every day for hours a day. Um, As part of my rhythm of the work I was doing there, I was working in some really difficult places. And so I really needed that time with God, time out, time in. Um, And when I left Berlin and went to university, I was like, oh, what am I going to do when I don't have this prayer room? And I had a picture of a laundry room. And I was like, no, God, I said prayer room, laundry room. <laughs> um, and because I was a first year student I probably didn't make it to the laundry room in my halls till about a month into university um, but when I did eventually go I was like oh this is perfect this is the ideal prayer room and so for all of my first year of university I would get up I would drag myself to the laundry room and I would sit on a washing machine Um, and have an appointment with God for the first couple of hours of my day. Um, And that actually became such a, like, sacred space, that time Mm. and place that I was meeting with God. It was the only place I could um, sing and worship without waking up my flatmates. Um, (laughs) And, yeah, it became my, like, daily appointment for meeting with God, Mm. even when I didn't feel like it. Um, That was where I went. Um, and I think the other thing that has got me passionate about prayer is that it's impossible not to get excited about it when you see answers to prayer. Um, so sometimes they've been immediate, like um, a friend and I were going to Amsterdam to do a worship gathering in the red light district there. We'd were gonna, we got a room above a brothel, we're going to worship all night, um, except she hadn't got a plane ticket yet. And so... She didn't have any money for a plane ticket, so we literally got on our knees and were like, okay, God, we're not going anywhere until we've got the money. And about five minutes later, £500 appears in her bank account. No explanation <laughs> apart from God. Um, mm. And other times it's been much, much longer um, times praying praying and praying and praying, praying and not seeing any answers. So when I was in sixth form, there were a group of us Um, me and Ben Prosser, Susie Dobson, Dave Moller, and another couple of friends, and we wrote a list of 50 people we wanted to see come to know Jesus, and we committed to pray for them every single day for that year. And some of them, when we were in sixth form, we saw um, come to know Jesus, and it was amazing. Um, And others, we left and had no idea what happened to them. But last week, I was at a conference, a Christian student mission conference, um, and this guy comes up to us like, hey, Iggy, do you remember me? And um, this is one of the guys who we'd prayed for for a year, seen nothing happen. And then three years later, he shows up at the student mission conference leading his Christian union. He became a Christian <laughs> at university, got baptized is now leading the CU. And um, so when you see God answer prayers, it's, it's it's just so obvious that you have to pray more for the things that you need. So right now I'm praying for a van and I have absolutely no idea where it's coming from but God has a 100% rate of answering prayers so I'm certain it'll come from somewhere.
1: (laughs) Well it's amazing how when we do see answered prayer it's great but it's uh, it's sometimes when those prayers don't get answered and we have to to wait a long time and maybe in the mystery of God's economy. There are other ways that he's teaching us mm-hmm. through those times, and it's always a struggle. But to continue to learn to trust God in those difficult times is hard. And it's, it's difficult to continue praying with a sense of passion for God um, when you're in those gloomy places. But what, was there one thing that has helped to fuel that fire for you? That, um, you know, I was thinking about where you, where you sit um is a particular discipline isn't it about being able to come to god and just say lord i'm just here for you tell us about where you've been sitting in your laundry room
2: (laughs) um so i think yeah the discipline is one thing coming every single day when you don't feel like it god is still worthy when you're really tired and you don't want to get out of bed jesus died for you so get out of bed you know (laughs) um (laughs) that discipline and then um another thing to keep the keep um the fire burning is keeping adding fuel um so i think you know the fuel of our worship is knowing jesus and understanding um who he is and what he's done for us and when we grasp that um Like it's impossible not to worship and give thanks. It's um, impossible not to want to be in that place when you really grasp what Jesus has done. Um, And so getting to know Jesus more, getting a better understanding um, through reading your Bible, through gathering like this, through hearing testimonies, that kind of thing, it's all adding logs to the fire um, Mm, to keep it burning.
1: So talking of testimonies, tonight we're going to be sharing our Celtic evening worship about how testimonies of others and how we can engage with, in prayer in different ways using some simple prayer stations in our Celtic evening worship. So I invite you to explore prayer more fully this evening. But that, the book that I mentioned that Sean is just gonna share with us now is full of different ways and practical ways uh, about how we can pray, how we can keep that fuel burning. Because as you said, fuel, uh, worship is a fuel for mission. And it's just great to have you shared so much of what you've experienced. And it'll be different for different people. But for us as a church, what is it that's going to help us to look like a church that's more passionate about prayer? And I think this book and this initiative by Pete Gregg, who is the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement, has got a lot to commend it. And I think we need to consider as a church whether we could embrace some of the material in this book as we go forward on this journey. So thank you, Iona. Very much indeed. Let's give her a big clap. Thank you.
0: That was really inspirational. And this is, um, I guess, the emphasis on being really practical as well. And uh, as we've been praying... Um, during this kind of springboard time. It's not a sermon series because it's a springboard, as you know, these, these few weeks that we've got to really think about uh, Christchurch and what, what it's becoming and, and what we're looking and praying for it to become in the next three years. I have, as part of my prayer time, I was thinking, okay, so this week is about prayer So um, what is God saying to us? Because obviously all of us have been asked to feed back to Aidan, the prayer groups, the home groups, the triads, to feed back anything that God is saying um, through our own uh, personal prayer time but in our discussions together. And I just looked down while I was doing that and and saw the book that Book Club is, um, is reading this month. So the Book Club meets at Alec Clark's house, and is led by Rosie and anybody can anybody can go it's fantastic and I have read some amazing books I mean if it's a P.D. James detective or if it's an M.R. Hall I'm there I love detectives I never have to be persuaded to read a detective story but Christian books which took me so much more good and just kind of lift my heart. I don't know what that is. That's kind of something spiritual going on, I think, because I struggle to actually sit down and read them. But if I had never read another book as part of being part of this book club, it would have all been worth it for this one. It is amazing. And it says in it, I have five minutes for this bit, and it says that you can sum up this book in two minutes by reading the following. So I'm just gonna read this, and then I'm gonna give one example about how unbelievably practical and real Pete Gregg is. For 20 years, he has been um, the instigator really, or the founder of 24-7. If anybody knows about prayer, it's Pete Gregg. And yet it's so real as he struggles with the fact that his wife, had a brain tumour, and still has not been completely healed. It's full of those times when God doesn't seem to be answering your prayer, and yet how he keeps going. It's amazing. So I'm just going to read um, the synopsis, if you like, um, uh, of, of, how, kind of of the kind of structure of the book. And it's, um, it's all written around the letters P-R-A-Y. So the first one is pause. But this introduction, every pilgrim gets a stone in their shoe eventually. You wake up one morning thinking, is this really all there is to knowing the creator of 100 billion galaxies? You read the book of Acts and ask, Why isn't it like that anymore? Your world falls apart and you desperately need a miracle. You stare up at the stars and feel things bigger than religious language can express. You say to yourself, if this thing is true, there's got to be more power, more mystery, more actual personal experience. And so finally, you turn to God, half wondering whether you're any more than half serious, and say, Lord, teach me to pray. And he replies, I thought you'd never ask. (laughs) So pause, Jesus said when you pray, dot, dot, dot. To start, we must stop. To move forward, we must pause. This is the first step in a deeper prayer life. Put down your wish list and wait. Sit quietly, be still, and know that I am God. Become fully present in place and time so your scattered senses can re-center themselves on God's eternal presence. Stillness and silence prepares your mind and primes your heart to pray from a place of greater peace, faith, and adoration. In fact, it is in itself an important form of prayer. And then rejoice. No one stares up at the northern lights thinking, wow, I'm incredible. We are hardwired to wonder and therefore to worship. The Lord's Prayer begins with an invitation to adoration. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Having paused to be still at the start of a prayer time, the most natural and appropriate response to God's presence is reverence. Try not to skip this bit. Hallowing the Father's name is the most important and enjoyable dimension of prayer. Linger here, rejoicing in God's blessings before asking for any more. Like an eagle soaring, a horse galloping, or a salmon leaping, worship is the thing God designed you to do. Ask. Prayer means many things to many people, but it's its simplest and most immediate, it means asking God for help. It's a soldier begging for courage, a football fan at the final, a mother alone in a hospital chapel. The Lord's Prayer invites us to ask God for everything from daily bread to the kingdom come, for ourselves and for others. In this section, we explore the extraordinary miracle-working power of prayer, but also the questions we face when our prayers go unanswered. And finally, yield. The yield step, or when I use this with children, it's, it's yes. The final step in the dance of prayer is surrender. It's a clenched fist slowly opening, an athlete lowering himself into an ice bath, a field of California poppies turning to the sun. We yield to God's presence on earth as it is in heaven through contemplative prayer, And by listening to his word, which is our daily bread, we yield to God's holiness through confession and reconciliation, praying, forgive us our sins as we forgive others. And we yield to his power in spiritual warfare, asking our father to deliver us from evil. And so in all these ways, it's by surrendering to God that we overcome By emptying ourselves, that we are filled, and by yielding our lives in prayer, that our lives themselves can become a prayer, the Lord's prayer in the end. Finally, just to show you how unbelievably real this man is. You know, most of you that I work with children, or I work with teachers, or I work with head teachers, but it's all for children so this story really touched me and it's about how god might see us when we pray as a little boy danny my son would often grip big wax crayons in his chubby little fist and draw words on any scrap of paper he could find daddy he said one day handing me his latest masterpiece look what i've written." Wow, I said, as if he'd knocked off the first page of Macbeth. Well done, Danny, that is so clever. You're writing so beautifully. Wrong way up, silly, he said. (laughs) Oh, right. I spun the paper and studied it again. Daniel, I said eventually, you have written a great big long letter here, haven't you? He looked extremely pleased. So pleased that he uttered two words that stopped my heart. Read it. I stared at that crumpled piece of paper, searching for a clue. Should I break it to him that his scribbles, while beautiful in their own way, didn't actually mean anything? Would he feel deceived, discouraged? Could I distract him? Should I change the subject? Read it, Daddy, the little voice commanded again. Looking up from the paper, I stared in wild despair at the little face in front of me and suddenly knew exactly what to do. His scribbles remained incomprehensible, but his face was an open book. I knew its every wrinkle, contour and nuance. Its every fleeting mood. It told me more eloquently than poetry and prose the kind of day he'd had. How he was feeling, what he'd eaten for dinner, and which weird little obsessions were currently buzzing around his head like blue bottles in a jar. I returned to my son's artistry, cleared my throat, and began to read aloud. He listened intently, clearly surprised by his own brilliance, and chuckling heartily in all the right places. Well done, Daddy, he said in the end, emphasising each word with an emphatic nod of his head. That was very good. Very good reading. And he nodded three more times. Well, thank you, I said, nodding my head too, because it really had been some of the best reading I had ever done.
1: Oh, thank you, Daddy. Wonderful. Well, the only thing to do now is to pray. And so uh, Briony is going to come and lead us in our intercessions now as we come forward to just to bring to God the things that perhaps we can't put into words, but that God hears.